David Ellison, longtime Megadeth bass player, is back on the show. We got a lot to talk about. Last time he was here, he came with Drew, his partner in the band, The Lucid, and also they worked together on the movie Dwellers. Those projects have all come out now. He's since left Megadeth, and he has a new project that he just dropped with Jeff Scott Soto called Ellison Soto. They have a new album out called Vacation in the Underworld. Very cool album title. And uh, we discuss the new album. We talk about some old Megadeth stories. And I ask him something that I've been wondering is just what does he think about all the trolls that comment on literally any blabbermouth article that comes out? Does he think that's funny? Well, we'll have an answer for you coming right up. That's cool. What is that? Uh, K- what's KRM Studios? Uh, King Richard, <laughs> Richard Easterling, uh, who goes by King Richard. He uh, has a studio up in uh, Colorado Springs. He's done a ton of stuff for me. Is a fantastic mix. Uh, well, that, look, mix and recording engineer. Sorry, I got stuff all over. <laughs> um, and uh, and has a cool T-shirt. So uh, yeah, you have a studio in Arizona. That you record at? You're looking at it. You're looking at it. It's my laptop. But I, I do have one I record at. My friend John Eccolino, uh, who's known from the band Icon from back in the 80s. Um, he's got a fantastic studio. He's got a – he built a studio uh, on his property 30 feet underground. It's like a, at least a two $3 million studio with a full SSL room and everything. And then he just bought brought over – there's five of these big um, Focusrite consoles that they made uh, some time back. And he bought, brought the one over from that was in South Africa. Um, I think by way of the uh, people with Post Malone helped him get the thing over here. So that when you saw when I, I put up on my Facebook and I was recording some Dieth uh tracks there they look like a spaceship <laughs> that's that's the studio that's the upstairs room and then the downstairs room is the ssl room so um he's uh so he's officially got the focus right room upstairs and then downstairs is the platinum underground so uh max, max Igor, Where is that? yeah it's in arizona yeah in, May, in mesa here yeah so sacred right sacred right records he's done a few things with max and igor where are my neighbors here uh, a few minutes away. So yeah, we do all kinds of stuff there. Um, oh, I didn't realize there was that many people in Arizona. I know Wiley's. I had him on the show. And he he uh, mm-hmm. the rehab burger. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, he uh, he he landed well. You know, um, after I guess the Sacred Reich years kind of wound down for a while. He uh, yeah, his place is great. He's he's got a couple. I think a couple of those restaurants are super good. Super good. So. Yeah, Yeah. he's more than a burger flipper and he's more than a musician. (laughs) He's done very well with that. I think I just saw he was touring like Europe or something. They're they're doing really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're back on. Yeah, they cut their record. They actually cut their record in John's place. And um, and the guitar player, uh, the new guitar player actually played on my Ellison Sleeping Giants record. Um, He he uh, he he played some stuff I wrote better than I could play it. <laughs> I guess we bumped the tempos up and it was pretty ripping. So I was like, okay, I could write this stuff. We need to get a guy in here who can like play this stuff in his sleep, you know, young guys. You know, it's funny how a lot of the stuff we were doing in the eighties and early nineties, you know, was, was hitting the, hitting the wall, you know, hitting the speed limit, you know, but now dudes sit in their bedroom and like 
you know, bedroom shredders on YouTube that like <laughs> boy circles around what we used to do, you know? So the advancement of even human technology, you know? Yeah. Human well, so the El- this was supposed, this current record, the Elfs and Soto was supposed to be a solo record. Right. But then you, you had Jeff sing on it and you're like, Oh, we should just make this a band. Isn't that how it happened? Well, yeah. I mean, again, I was, I mean, it, it, it deservedly should be Ellis and Soto, obviously both of our names, but you know, I was looking to start in uh, early 2021. I was looking to start recording the next, what I thought would probably be the next Ellison solo record. Um, and Hey, I'm always willing to share, share the wealth, share the credit, you know, um, and uh, and that's why I say deservedly so. In fact, you should probably say Ellison Soto Martinelli because Andy Martinelli is the, you know, he's the third Beatle on this one for sure. You know, he's very much the uh, kind of the energy center, and and he and I co-write, you know, most of this stuff together. Um, so uh, so Andy and I started writing um, and uh, had a you know fair amount of material in in motion, and you know just considering you know, vocal things, you know, Todd Latore is a buddy of mine, sings in Queensryche, of course. Um, and, you know, we were, you know, we had connected and we were talking about some stuff and he actually has a, a terrific solo record on Rat Pack as well. And, um, and Andy just said to me, he said, you know, why don't you, uh, you know, why don't you just call Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Scott Soto. And uh, you, you talk about him all the time. You love his voice. You guys are buddies. So I did. And it was it was just kind of that one moment in, in life where it just lined up. And, um, of course, everybody was off the road, you know, with the quarantine and stuff. So sure. it was a perfect time to, to, you know, to do it. So, yeah, that's that's how it began and sort of fleshed itself out from there. Yeah. So you met Jeff through Al Petrelli, who was in Megadeth at one time. And then but how did you meet Andy? Where did you find him? Because he yeah, the guitar work is. <sighs> amazing and so is the drums too paulo is, is a great yeah. drummer i met andy through kiko actually um and oh. I, I knew of andy because i i saw stuff of him online and i was so i you know he caught my attention I was like oh, this guy's freaking good um and i i seem to think uh so i guess it was on the dystopia tour we played in bologna and um funny thing is is cobra page from cobra and the lotus um we had done a metal all-stars couple of shows together in South America. So we became friends and her mom, I think kind of basically managed manages her. So her mom hit me and said, Hey, we, we need a guitar player uh, for some stuff coming up. And I was on the bus with Kiko. I said, Kiko, you know anyone? He said, yeah, my friend, Andy Martin jelly, let me hit him right now. I haven't come to the show tonight. So, you know, it's just funny how life, these, these things work, you know? And so I met Andy that night in Bologna and, um, Super great dude, awesome energy, obviously fantastic guitar player, uh, has great rock and roll sensibilities about him. So that's so, you know, I hooked them up with, uh, he was out with Cobra and the Lotus there for, I don't know, a year or so. Um, and we stayed in touch. And then when Frank Bellow and I did, um, when we did our dates with uh, Slash, where we were you know, doing the Altitudes and Attitude record, uh, so that was, what, 2000, what was that, 19? 18 19 i think right um i i needed to put I can look it up together. i got it right here <laughs> yeah yeah i think yeah. i think it was 19 so i i, I needed a band 19, so i hit yeah. andy i just said hey it was 19 so i hit andy um you know not know, knowing he has got a lot of you know vivacious ferocious energy i said can you play this stuff this, this is a little bit more this is kind of more u2 meets 
you know, REM or something, Joe Jackson. <laughs> and he goes, no problem, brother. And then I discovered, you know, what a great singer Andy is. And, and, um, so, uh, you know, from, from there, that's when he and I started working on the Ellison sleeping giants records, um, a couple months later. And, and, uh, he put together, um, you know, he, he put together a, a terrific band, uh, with Paulo, the drummer, and then his friend Valerio on guitar. So, you know, it's, it's great with Andy because it's a plug and play thing, man. He, I can really call him the musical director. If I need something, say, Hey, need a band here are the dates can we put this together and he'll just go just no problem, brother. I got it handled, you know, and he'll plug and play and I'll just show up and plug in my bass and they're rehearsed and they're ready to go. So, you know, it's, it's fun to have these, these kind of musical brotherhoods and uh, um, you know, like that, that works. So yeah, he's, uh, yeah. he's, he's so my number he one man, you know, does he help out with the songwriting or is it all written by you and Jeff? No, no, Andy, for sure. Yeah, he, the three of us pretty much wrote everything on the record, okay. you know. Um, in fact, Sharpen the Sword was music that Andy brought in. Um, and then Jeff and I collaborated on the lyrics, um, you know, things like The Reason. That was pretty much all, that was all Andy uh, wrote all the music to that. And then Jeff and I, Jeff actually did, Jeff and Andy did most of the lyrics on it. I did, I did some, I kind of worked a little bit on the chorus and some melodies and stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's fun to be collaborative, you know, and just kind of say, Hey, it's all for one, one for all, you know, let's, you know, like Jeff said, he goes, I always loved on the back of the Van Halen albums where it says all songs written by Van Halen, you know, um, you know, you just kind of take, take, take that sort of squabble of who's going to get the credit, who's going to get the money and all that crap. Just like, let's just take that off the table. You know what I mean? It's just like, say, Hey, it's brand new. We're all in it together. Let's see what we come up with. And, um, you know, that's, that's a great place to start because then you kind of get that whole agenda off the table, you know? Um, and, and that, and I, and I like it to be like that. I, I, that's, that to me always brings about the best music brings about the best heartfelt contributions. People, I want people to, to, to happily bring their best to the table, not go, well, I bring this, but you know, really it's my song. And if they're not going to pay me for it, then I'll keep it for something over here. You know what I mean? Cause that's what mm. starts happening when you, mm. you know, you don't think about it like that, but it's, you know, when they're going to get money and credit and all this stuff. So I like kind of just get that thing off the table and sort of address that up front and then, uh, you know, make it an all for one kind of thing. That's cool. I didn't realize like when I'm listening to this, how, uh, diverse uh, Jeff's voice can be like on some of the songs he, he, cause I remember him from like, uh, yeah. Uh, Malmsteen, more of a screamer. And some of the songs sound like that, sure. but then, uh, some of them sound more gritty, kind of like a James Hetfield. And then one, uh, something to nothing. It, he almost does like a Phil Anselmo, like Pantera scream. I'm like, he's got like five different voices. It's amazing. Yeah, he really does. No, I know he, he totally does. And I, I love that about him. Um, is, is he's, he does, you know, and that's why I'm pretty much anything Andy and I would throw over to him. You know, we, we started with, um, writing on the wall. Then I think we sent over sharpen the sword and then we sent over a couple more and it was kind of like, I don't know, you want to try this one. You want to try that one. You want to do this one. You know, it's, and, um, and everything he said back, we're just like, Jesus, this is so good, man. And, and, and that's what he even said. He goes, man, this is like so easy. It's like everything I send you guys, you guys like, and, I, and we were like, listen, you know, we're, we're working with you because we like you, you know, we already like yeah. your voice. You're a cool guy. You're a great presence. You know, you've got a, a big presence on these recordings and, you know, it's, uh, you know, let's do more let's just keep at it. And man, I mean, really over the course of a couple of months, we had like 15 songs done. And, um, 
You know, you kind of, it, it's funny when you're writing like this, because if the ideas keep coming, you just, you just keep the floodgate open, man, and just let the rivers flow, you know? And then you kind of know when you sort of, the stream kind of dries up and you go, okay, I think, look, we got 15, 16 songs, however many it was. And it's like, well, that certainly makes for a great record. Now we're going to, now we have the, the luxurious problem of trying to decide which ones are going to go on the album because they're not all going to fit, right? A CD's, what, 44 minutes, you know, vinyl is 28 or 32 or whatever. You know what I mean? So you start kind of figuring that out. And of course now online, but the digital streaming services, you kind of put everything up there. So, um, you know, it's, it, it was, you know, it was fun. I worked with Chris Collier, the, um, engineer who mixed the record he and i uh spent a lot of time going through the the running order and and um and he said the same thing like we, he'd mix a track and you go man he goes i think this is my new favorite song he mixed another one he goes man i think this is my new favorite song so it's like you know it was, it was fun to have a guy who wasn't and this is why you usually hire an outside mixer because they're not as sort of married to the demo and the, sort of the process sure. they're kind of a fresh fresh perspective comes in. All right, let me sit back and hear it. So I appreciated his um, fresh ears, you know, to, to give some perspective and go, man, I think this works. I think they all work. I don't know if the piano ballad out of the blue, out of the blue, I don't know if that's going to fit on here as great of a song as it is. So maybe we set that over here for digital and, you know, so it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, but there was a place for everything. And I think that was the beauty of, of the record. I think it's really eclectic. Yeah, I like that there's different kinds of styles of music. I feel like there's like old school metal and then, yeah, you have the piano ballad and and you have like, uh, what's the one song that was more like a progressive uh, song? And I forget which one that was. But uh, I love too that, that, is it fun that you're able to put in all these cool bass lines? Like on uh, Rise to Win, you kind of have the jazzy yeah. bass line and then the Day Before Tomorrow yeah. also has a really cool bass line. Like you probably weren't allowed to do that as much in Megadeth, I'm guessing. <laughs> No, no, not at all. And if it wasn't, you know, yeah, it, it, let's put it this way. All ideas are welcome, <laughs> you know, over yeah, here. And, yeah. and, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, sometimes you get in certain situations and like, if it wasn't his idea, it's not a good idea. You know, one of those kind of right. things. So, um, you know, and, and again, some things can be skewed by that. It's like, Hey, you know, is this really, are we really discerning the best ideas or is it kind of filtered through? Well, if it wasn't my idea, it's not a good idea. So, you know, it, it was nice to be sort of off the leash, if you will, and set free to go, you know, roam, roam free, you know, and, and, and to see what's there. And, and I think, look, at this point, we've all made enough records between me and Andy and Jeff, and we've got good sensibilities to, to you know, in a way you, you kind of learn to edit yourself a little bit. You kind of go, yeah, this is pretty cool, but it's not right for this record or, um, which can happen a lot on, on when you're younger and you're making your first records because everybody just kind of wants to prove themselves. And, you know, it, it's a tough thing sometimes for your ego, you know, to be told, Hey man, good, good, good song. Not right for this. You know, you got to take it over there. And, and, and so I think in any musical situation, you've got to be, you have to have some self-honesty about that. You know, um, I brought tracks into Megadeth over the years that I knew were good songs. And, and I also knew, go, I don't know if it's, this is going to be right. I mean, I remember I brought one in, uh, you know, If You Were God, which I put on Sleeping Giants, and I had John Bush sing the demo, which made it just sound even more awesome. And I remember I brought it in at the Euthanasia Sessions, and and um, and it was cool. I think I think we even learned it and played it a little bit. It was kind of part of their first round of songs. I remember Max Norman came in and he goes, man, 
it's got this kind of Billy Idol groove to it. And, you know, man, it's, it's a good song. I don't, I don't know if it's right for the record. You know, and I had to take that opinion as, as, as some truth, you know, to go, okay, it's a starting point. We've got a pile of initial songs. Now let's go write 12 more. And then when we sit back, we'll listen to everything that we have. I mean, there's some other songs like Crown of Thorns and, or Crown of Worms or whatever it was and a few things that didn't go on the record. You know, they ended up becoming uh, B-sides and things. And, you know, so not everything you write uh, is, is going to make the grade, which is why I think it's good to always write extra material, you know. Um, but as for, you're right, as for like the bass licks and stuff, it was cool, man. I mean, I pulled out my, I've got this cool old uh, Fender fretless jazz and I was just, I pulled that out to play some of those licks, you know, so you could do some of the sliding, you know, kind of cool things. Um, I used uh, one of my, I think it was the Fred of Jackson, you know, and my modulus bass too, I think, cutting, shredding some licks. So it was fun to kind of put them all together and create this sort of little bass symphony at the beginning of the song. And uh, some double-handed, some double-handed tapping, descending, saying, you know, and really do some, uh, you know, Stanley Jordan kind of stuff, you know, some really ripping overhand fretless and put a bunch of stuff in. I figure, you know, if it's, if it's going to be my record too, and my name's on it, fuck it, I'm going for it. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that was, it's, it you know, looks like you guys are just having Andy, fun. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. hundred percent, man. It's like, I didn't hear the, it. um, there's a, a song that's it's only on the European one. I'm not your stepping stone. You did a cover of that. I was intrigued. We I did. wanted to hear that one. I couldn't find it though. I know. I I uh, I you know I let Joe at Rat Pack kind of make the executive decision on that because what well, we had two covers. You know we had Swords and Tequila, which is what we sort of launched. Mm -hmm. You know a, a, a an, an initial partnership with me and Jeff while we were working on the record. We launched that. And we even agreed to said, yeah, this will be kind of a way to kind of run one up the flagpole and see if people like it. And people seem to love it. They, they, they thought we sounded great together. So that was kind of the, you know, Wayne's world thumbs up, like, it's good. Keep going, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, and Stepping Stone, that just hit me one day. Um, and it's funny because I was a big Monkees fan. I wasn't really so much of a Beatles fan. I was a Monkees fan. And it's really? because of my age. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know. Well, I mean, by the time I started listening to music, I mean, look, the Beatles came out in, what, 63, 64? I was born in 64. So, I mean, you know, their explosive seven years, I mean, I missed it. I didn't start listening. Yeah. I mean, my mom had a Beatles record, so I heard it and I liked it. But, you know, I didn't do the deep dive on the Beatles till many years later in my life. I mean, you know, I started listening to music around the mid, early mid-70s. By then, the Beatles were over. But, you know, the monkeys were on on morning morning TV for me, you know, so I would watch that. And um, and, uh, you know, then reading, you know, it's funny. Uh, uh, Christian Nesmith, who is Mike Nesmith's son, Christian became a good friend of mine. He was he and Nick Menta were best friends. So uh, random. I became, oh, wow. Yeah, random. Yeah. So Christian and I became good friends. And um and so he would tell me, you know, story. I'd ask him, I'd say, dude, what is it like going to hang out with your dad on the set when you're filming the monkeys? He goes, dude, it was so boring. You know, he goes, it's a TV really? show. So it's like you set up, you do a take, cut, um, next, set up, take. Next. You know what I mean? So we see a TV show. We see it all spliced together. He said, he goes, he goes, and I was just a kid, <clears throat> but it was super boring. I think he's my age. So he was, you know, just a, a young, young kid at the time. But, um, you know, Nesmith, I think, went on to, uh, go 
uh, starred MTV. And it was, I read a really great article about him because I think it was in like Guitar World magazine or something that he um, was able to help launch MTV because, because whereas the Beatles didn't get the love of television. I mean, they had Ed Sullivan, of course, but they didn't get the the real kind of love of television in the way the monkeys did just a few years later, because their whole musical thrust of everything they did was because they had a TV show. So he put it together. Wait a minute. If bands make videos or bands can be on TV, it can really help launch them. Hence MTV. Right. So he put this whole kind of, again, just matter of, we can't help the year we're born. Right. So who knows, like, you know, the year we're born, the age we are when things come across our path in life and we're able to connect them and put them together. So that was, you know, I thought kind of a a, a really cool backstory to MTV yeah. and how he was one of the propagators of that. Yeah. Well, you guys had the, the theme song to MTV News for the longest time. I mean, you're obviously a huge part of MTV. Do you like it better now, though? Because in one hand, you, the MTV era, they kind of picked the best music or what they thought was the best music to play. Now you can put anything on YouTube, but then again, now you have everything is on YouTube. So there's so much stuff to weed through and try to find the good stuff. What do you like better? Cause you've had both eras. You know, I thought MTV was cool and you're right. I mean, you know, it, it's funny. Here's the funny thing, you know, for as much as that baseline got used, I missed the whole thing because we were on tour during the whole time, right? So people all these years later go, dude, it was like the theme to MTV and we couldn't, you know, that your baseline was always in our heads. And, and I was like, it was, you know, um, you know, those are the years, you know, Megadeth was on the road all the time. So we weren't sitting around watching MTV. But I do remember the, the, the first time that we heard it, um, there was a band apartment that me, Dave and Chris Poland lived in when we got our advance from Capitol. It was over in Silver Lake called it the ranch. It was this three bedroom apartment. Right. And, um, and there was like a, a Bowflex, right. Remember those things? Like oh, the yeah, machine, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah. So we had a Bowflex. I think I'm like working out of the Bowflex. Chris is in the kitchen right there. It was like an open kitchen. He's doing the dishes. And we always had MTV on in the background on the T on TV. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden that, you know, MTV news, you heard it here. Right. Whatever the tagline was. And yeah. Chris stopped and goes, dude, was that our song? And I was like, I don't know. I missed it, you know? And then, then you'd wait. And then the next time it was like MTV News and they'd do the DJ scratch, right? So it was like, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a fluke, you know? And, and so it was funny how that just developed into pop culture, you know? And, and who knows? I guess it was just a fan, you know, or somebody there was like, ooh, that's a cool, that's a cool little baseline. We'll, we'll use that as the, as the hook, you know? You never know why these things get used. I mean, like the Megadeth, you know, Last last rights love to death got used in an Apple iPhone commercial a couple of years ago, and what are the chances that someone at Apple, wherever they're whoever they're advertising and you know marketing people are decide, decided, I know a song we could use. Oh yeah, what's the song? Killing is my business. Song one, side A, nineteen eighty five. <laughs> last rights love to death. I mean, what is the random chance that that would ever end up on an Apple iPhone commercial? It's it's not the most commercially sort of you know laid out song but but it's vicious you know and and it's uh -huh. super freaking violent and it was fucking great man i mean and they've used it a ton they used it during like during the stanley cup <clears throat> and um so it's was, it was pretty good it got a lot of airtime so you know you yeah. never know these random moments in life when they show up for you 
Well, there's other songs. Like I like the songs that you guys have on the soundtracks. I think those are some of your best songs. Like go to hell on the bill and Ted and angry again. Weren't that, were they both nominated for a Grammy or just one of them? Um, angry again for sure was, I can't remember. I, but they're both, those are both Grammy noms. Yeah. Cause I, I, angry I again was I, written for the, yeah. it was written later, but was go to hell. Was that like a rejected song from rest in peace? No, it was not. Um, and come to think of it, I think Angry Again and then 99 Ways to Die. In fact, I got oh, that's another one from Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Butthead. yeah, Beavis and Butthead, platinum record up here. Um, yeah, they, uh, th- those were both Grammy nominations for sure. That's yeah, so it it's funny how, you know, in between albums, we would do these, these um, you know, these one-off, uh, you know, soundtrack songs that we would get get up to do and they would get they'd have all the success i mean they were again platinum records grammy nominations i mean you know so it's just they filled the gaps you know in between in between other records so um yeah the go to hell it's funny because tom wally who's then since gone on to be the president of warner brothers and but he was our a and r guy at capital when we got signed to capital records and uh Tom got us our Nikes. He got us like this little Nike endorsement, some free shoes, which is why in the Peace Sells video, which we recorded the Lamores, we would intentionally walk across the stage with our Nikes on because we're like, well, we've got these free shoes. We should probably we should probably give a shout out back to Nike for giving us the free shoes. That's why we did it, right? I think Gar's like the most obvious one. But then uh, Tom went on to, uh, he headed up uh, Interscope Records. And I think it was at Interscope where he came to us because uh, he loved Megadeth and, you know, he, he was a big fan of ours. So even though he couldn't work with us, he, he, when he, the opportunity came up for the soundtrack, he, he, he threw our name in the hat right away, even though he wasn't even working at our label anymore. So he came, hit us up to do Go to Hell um, because the name of the movie was going to be called Bill and Ted Go to Hell. And right. so we write the song. I remember that he came down to the Enterprise Studios. Um, at this point, Max Norman was working with us. It was during the Rust in Peace tour, actually. Um, and we shot the video on the Clash of the Titans tour in Chicago. Um, and uh, But I remember Tom came down to the studio, and I, he was working with Dave on the lyric. And he just said, man, just be as freaking dark and gnarly and satanic as possible. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I really push. That's my whole thing. Like, you know, my only friend is a go was six, six, six between his words. You know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, we worked together. We, that was actually, I think a group collaboration on some level, the four of us worked, you know, it was, it was cool because the band was working really well together at that time. So we were trying to, you know, be collaborative. And, um, and then of course they changed the title of the movie at the last mm-hmm. minute, I guess, they did some test marketing on it, you know, because mm. they did. There's a lot that goes in before movies come out. They don't just randomly come sure. out, you know. They do these sort of these, these, uh, <clears throat> these. The name escapes me, but these little kind of uh, theaters where they, they screening screening theaters, you know, where they do little screenings and they'll bring mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. ten tens and twenties of people in to get their opinions, and they you know they'd spend a lot of money on marketing these things. So I found out that Go to Hell, I guess, was not so well received so they changed it to bill and ted's bogus journey and of course by that time you know we'd already mixed and mastered and turned the song in so go to hell's a better name at least for yeah i think so i love that song too yeah i didn't realize way better than bogus journey yeah i like those movies um did you you guys um i read this today i I don't i don't remember this because i remember i was a big megadeth fan in the 90s you guys actually opened for aerosmith for a few shows and you were going to do a full tour but then it didn't work out 
What was that? Like, that seems like an odd mix. It was very odd. <laughs> it was suggested to us because it was a sobriety tour, um, oh. and which is never the reason to make, never make decisions on that. It's like, if you need to get sober, go home, get sober, get your act together. And then when you're ready to go work, go work. You know, that's that. Yeah, yeah that was really un- unfortunate <clears throat> because I mean, look, we're, we're huge Aerosmith fans. I mean, who is, especially for me, Toys in the Attic. That was my record, you know. Um, probably the first three records um, in particular. So, and then of course, live bootleg. So I'm a huge fan. And so, you know, it was cool to go out, but obviously Aerosmith was in a very different phase. I mean, they were the big MTV stars, you know, they, it was this more kind of pop version of Aerosmith, you know, during pump right. and get a grip and all that stuff. So yeah, you know, cool idea, not the, <laughs> the reality of it was not, well mixed well matched you know um and it was funny because i remember we were doing uh we, we had an opportunity we, we'd gone out and done some shows it was megadeth pantera white zombie who had just come on the scene and talk about mtv i mean beavis and buddy were just blowing them up you know i mean making mm-hmm. them huge you know so um that opportunity we had and then got squandered as a result because we're like oh we gotta go do the aerosmith tour and we even went over and did some stadium shows with Metallica. Um, they were at the end of the Black Album. Uh, so this was 93, right? So they'd been out for like three years. In fact, the name of the tour was Nowhere Else to Roam. They were in like far Eastern Europe. I mean, they playing every, you know, dark, you know. <laughs> I mean, I remember there was this, it was either... Um, Slovenia or Slovakia? Might have been Slovakia. I mean, the country had just become a country in like January of 1993 that year. And they still had Czechoslovakian money with like the Slovakian stamp on it, right? It, it like it was so wow. new. It had just come out from you know the the Iron Curtain, you know, this all those transitions were happening. And of course, you know, Metallica were always, you know going into these far reaches and doing stuff. And even they're like, why don't you just stay over here and stay on tour with us? You know? So we're like, no, we got to go home and do the Earl's Men tour. And um, I think we literally played two shows and they sent us back. Like it, it, it was not a good, it was not a good fit. Yeah. So, so with, with Metallica, you, I didn't realize that you guys were still friends with them during this whole, I thought there was like this feud in the eighties and nineties, but no, I heard you say <clears throat> Lars used to come to your guys' shows all the time. He was still a fan. Totally. Yeah. I, I swear to God, we were overdoing those shows. And they, and they, he asked us, he said, why don't you just stay? He goes, Errol Smith, why are you doing that? You know, and he's like, why don't you stay over here? Yeah. Two more, two more cool shows. It was Metallica, The Cult, and then Megadeth and Suicidal Tendencies with, with Robert Trujillo playing bass. And then, and ironically, Jimmy DeGrasso on drums, it was that version of, uh, of uh, Suicidal, you know, which is kind of the more metal era of suicidal you know um but it, it, they were great bills i mean they were huge you know i mean you know budapest the stadium in budapest and big stuff so yeah it was kind of unfortunate you know because then once we did <coughs> aerosmith and you know get two shows we go home but um that was when we did um we went in the studio and we did uh 99 ways to die we had to go in the studio to to do 99 ways to basically for the beavis and was that yeah uh but that yeah, one or angry right? again so yeah did that one too right was that around the same time a- a- angry again we did um earlier that or summer earlier. maybe in the spring yeah and that was for the arnold schwarzenegger movie for last action yeah. hero so yeah i mean like we did go to hell in 91 
Uh, um, Last Action Hero was kind of spring of 93. And then we did 99 Ways to Die for uh, Beavis and Butthead. We did that in um, uh, fall. It's kind of late summer, late summer, I guess, of, uh, of 93 after the Aerosmith uh, debacle there. Um, and then at the same time, we did Paranoid, which I think that got nominated for a Grammy. If memory serves me, serves right. That's right. Yeah. Creativity in Black. Yeah. yeah. Our friend That's Bob a cool album. was doing. Yeah, because Sabbath was not, you know, they, they were in this kind of fragmented, almost non-existent era, you know. Um, and because Ozzy would come back to the band in uh, 98. And I remember we played. Here in Phoenix, we had the big, um, where the Diamondbacks play, the big uh, baseball stadium. Chase was Field. brand new. And yeah, Ch- yeah, Chase Field. And it was brand new. And we were the first concert to ever play there. And it was um, New Year's Evil. So Black Sabbath, Ozzy had just come back to Sabbath, which was huge, you know. So, and Bill Ward. So it was the original Sabbath. Um, Pantera. Last time I saw Pantera play, actually, because I think they disbanded kind of right after that. Um, Megadeth, Slayer, Soulfly. So it was pretty, pretty freaking New Year's Evil kind of evil. That's very um, cool. And it was, well, yeah, it Pantera. Was cool. I was going to ask you about that because they they're they're having a reunion of sorts. I mean, obviously they replaced. Uh, they got Zach Wild and Charlie Benante on drums. I think it's really cool. I was a big Pantera fan. I saw them live a couple times. I mean, it's the original singer, so the the vocals are going to sound good. And I mean, you can't uh, replace the guitarist and drummer, but if you're going to have somebody step in, I mean, those are two great names. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, look, I just went and did Kings of Thrash, right? We played early songs that people haven't heard in many years, may not ever hear again if someone doesn't like us doesn't go play them. People love them. You know what I mean? They love them. There's some original members in the organization, so they love it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, there's no replacing Diamond Bitty. I mean, on one level, Pantera as Pantera with the brothers. I mean, that that's that's set in stone, never to be replicated again. And can't. It's like Van Halen. You know, it's after watching Wolfgang play at uh, the um, Taylor Hawkins thing mm-hmm. i think me and probably a few people went wow if there could ever be a van halen reunion he would be the guy to go play the eddie van halen role right i mean he's eddie's son he's phenomenal um he's his name is van halen you know if he and the uncle could make it work with alex i mean to me man if they could do wolfgang alex bring michael anthony back they could freaking get whatever singer they wanted. They could be done with the singer debacle. And it's, I mean, come on, those three, that's, you know, I mean, it's because to me, Michael Anthony was as much of the sound of Van Halen with his singing as anything was. So, you know what I mean? So these moments happen like this. Um, I think regarding Pantera, uh, I mean, look, Charlie's, he's, he's one of the best in the business, you know, and a, and a great dude and keeps his head down, keeps his mouth shut. He, he's, he, he's, he's, he's just, he's a man on a mission. I can't see enough great about the guy. Um, and I think Zach, you know, you could almost see it coming. I mean, if there's ever going to be, there's no heir to the throne, if you will, uh, for Dimebag, because he's, it's a throne uniquely his own. Um, but if there was ever anyone who could go out and do that justice, it would be Zach. Um, and I think that's kind of a, thumbs up from everybody on that one so you know 
look, people want to hear the songs. At the end of the day, they want to hear the songs. You know, and like you said, the voice is still there. You know, Rex, you know, he's 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 an original member. So why not try it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, Give I mean, I've try. seen bands you know? reunite with a lot less members and they go out. Sometimes it's like, you know, the drummer or something. That's the only original member. Right. It's a complete different band, but they still use the name. So, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I worked at Peavy, there was a guy who bought the Molly Hatchet name. And I, I was a Molly Hatchet fan growing up, right? Flirting with disaster and stuff. And and so he called me up one day and he said, hey, man, I want to order 24 5150 cabinets because we're going to Europe. And I asked him, I said, how how does this work? <laughs> I said, as like, because I know Danny Joe Brown, the singer, I think it died. I said, is Dave Lubeck there? Any of the guys? He goes, man, he goes, I bought the name. They all cashed out. I bought the name. I own the name so I can go out and be, <laughs> be Molly Hatchet. So I was like, <laughs> God bless you. You know, it's wow. Uh, um so, you know, stranger things have happened. I mean, I guess, you know, it's, uh, you know, you learn the music business at that point, especially legacy stuff. It's, it kind of is that, you know, but, um, but you're right. I think as a fan for me, I don't want to just see a corporate cash grab, you know, I want to, I want to hear and feel it being authentic. Um, I want to, I want to see it be authentic because let's face it, you know, people listen with their eyes too, you know, they want to, they want to see it's, you know, I was using example Cheap Trick. When I go see Cheap Trick, you know, I want to see Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen. And, you know, um, for me, Tom Peterson and Bunny Carlos, that's no longer. But, you know, it's it's uh, as much as you can. I want to see some original guys up there, you know, uh, Gene and Paul. <laughs> you know what I mean? To me, that's 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 a it's a good start. I wish all four of them were there, but the reality isn't that, you know, so um so, uh, you know, I'm a fan too. So I, I sure. probably have the same opinion as other people. Yeah. Do you have time for a few more questions or, or do you got to get going? Uh, a couple more and then I got to wrap up. Okay. Yeah. Cause I do want to ask yeah. you, like when you talk about the business side, I want your take on that because, um, you know, you mentioned how you, you're not going to put your eggs all in one basket after the first time Megadeth disbanded. So you're like, all right, I'm going to have all these other projects and you've, you've stayed true to that. And so what is your advice for doing that though, because like, I'm trying to branch out. All I have right now is this podcast. I'm like, I got to get some other things. Every podcaster I know is either, you know, they do a comedian or they're a musician or a million other things. So how do you branch out without losing, um, you know, your, your strength of like, if you were just doing one band, would you you'd be focusing on that? that? That What if the band isn't as good if you're doing other things, do you lose some, some of the cachet? Well, good, great question, actually. And, you know, when when people come to me and they say, would well, any suggestions for young musicians? It's like, well, first of all, take lessons, learn music. Don't just learn guitar or bass, like learn music, learn the language of music, you know, um, and play with as many people as you can, because it will broaden your horizons. You'll start to learn about the language of music. Now, when you're coming at it as a professional and you start to decide, OK, I'm going to you know, become you know, a name, I want to make a living doing this. Okay. Now you need to really focus, you know, now you need to strip all that other stuff away and you need to focus. And, and usually, you know, the best path forward is to, you know, have a group, if you will, and, and have that group have some success. You know, it's a name, it's a brand. Um, it's the collaboration and everything for me, you know, 20 years of Megadeth, I'd made a name for myself. You know, I stayed true to that. I was only one group. Um, was a founder, an owner, you know, I stayed true to that one uh, mission. Um, I didn't see it ending, <laughs> you know, unknowing at any minute it could, you know, because that's the way rock bands are. 
Um, but you know, I didn't see it ending. And one day that happened. And so I was like, okay, now I have to reassess things because that gig is off the table. Uh, it was not a temporary sidecar. It was a disbanding. It's over done. Um, so I was like, well, I'm not going to sit around and wait for that. I got to get moving on. And some people approached me about playing in their bands. Um, I had not, I had no experience with it really. So I, I kind of didn't know how to handle it. My friend Al Petrelli was there as a buddy because he had just gotten done doing a lot of side man work um, with Alice Cooper, obviously just recently with Megadeth. He was pretty much full-time with Paul O'Neill and Trans-Siberian Orchestra. So that's, you know, that's where he went back to. That has been his home now for the last, you know, 25, 30 years. Um, look, if you can have a big gig, it's great because it's the thing that which all the other things happen. So um, kind of having that one thing that you're known for, I think helps. It, it, it's a good thing. Um, for me at this point in my life, I, I will always be known as, as a Megadeth guy for sure. Um, and I've been able to do some other things, you know, work with my friends in Soulfly and ministry and, you know, do some things that were, that were fun. Those kind of bucket list items for me, working with some of my buddies, Metal Allegiance, hope, you know, got to make a couple records with my friends. Uh, even the Ellison no cover record, you know, during quarantine, I got to call a lot of my friends up who were, we were all out of work. <laughs> we were all sitting at home. So it's like, yeah, you want to play in a record? And that expanded the horizons to do some other fun things. So, um, you know, now I'm in a season though where I, I, you know, a lot of things came out this year at the same time, um, just because of kind of how the floodgates opened uh, post COVID. Um, and those things are out now. And, um, but I'm, I'm starting to now focus things in a little tighter because I found a couple of things that I'm really enjoying. Um, they're, they seem to have, uh, success in their future. So I'm focusing on those now, you know? So, um, you know, I've gone through these narrow seasons, these wide seasons, and then focusing oh. back into, you know, kind of laser focusing. So I think it's kind of, you just sort of got to be a little intuitive with it. You know, if, if a lot's coming to you, take it, man. You know, yeah. if, um, if one or two of those things starts to kind of pop, you know, pay attention to that too, you know? Um, and I tell young musicians too, it's like, you know, when they're starting their bands, it's like, Hey, read the room, man. You know, if you're playing like we do with peace cells, when we went out, we did a little tour for three weeks before we recorded the album. We knew when we started playing peace cells, that song was going to be a hit. You could feel it. You can just feel it in the room. Pay attention to that. You know, um, if, if, if your shtick, if you play and people leave, you might want to think about what you're doing. If you play and people, more people come in cause they go, wow, this is cool. Keep doing that. You know? Hmm. So again, be, don't be so insistent that I do this, my art, bro. And I mean, it's like, whatever, you know what I mean? I, I get that, <laughs> but you know, you're not in the art business. You're in the music business, you know, <laughs> and, and you're in the entertainment business and you're, selling the product you know as soon as a guy anyone buys a, a concert ticket it's a contract it says i pay you you're going to entertain me right that's what it says you know that's the, right. the both written and unspoken rule of a concert ticket you know that's why they say rain or shine you know um you know you buy the ticket this you know that's what's going to happen so you know and lots of times it takes younger musicians to kind of get their mind around that it's like man when you step on the stage it's a privilege it's not a right it's a privilege so when you're out there freaking entertain the kids man give the people what they want you no know, so, that makes sense because it's like yeah i feel like that way with my podcast because i'll be like 
I try to do a, an eclectic mix of guests. And, uh, you know, so I'll try to have these really intellectual conversations with psychologists. And sometimes those episodes don't do as well. Then I have the rock star. And I'm like, okay, these ones do really well. I got to do more of the rock stars. Like, that's what the people want. So, yeah. 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 Bunch of troublemakers. Yeah. <laughs> What's going to happen today? You know, tune in today because that's right. what a lot of it is. I mean, there's even there's certain rock bands which is like it's like tune in today to see what might blow up and you know what controversy might happen and you know right, wrong, or indifferent. Man, that's sometimes that's that's what it is. I mean, again, is that, it is, is entertaining. You, you know, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I love personally. I just I love like blabbermouth and metal sludge. I love these sites. I think they're funny. They're, they're fun. They make rock fun. I don't think rock should be taken too seriously, uh, but there is a lot of trolls and stuff like that. Like I noticed even on interviews with you, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, some people troll you, but some people troll Mustaine. They, they'll say, oh, like Dave Ellison's a good guy. Dave Mustaine's a jerk. Da, da, da. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Okay. Like people just don't like anything. Like, what is your thoughts? Do you find it <laughs> sometimes kind of funny sometimes too? Like I had this band plush. Uh, they're a female group, and um, they said somebody on Blabbermouth called them Chickleback, and they thought it was hilarious. Like, do you ever laugh yeah. at some of the comments that people say? Dude, you have to laugh at it. I mean, first of all, I never <laughs> read any of that stuff, so I just stay completely. I, you know, Tom Brady had a good thing. Somebody asked him, he said, do you ever read the Monday morning quarterback, you know, what they say about you? He goes, God, no. It's like I would never be able to play the game next week because I'd be someone would be in my head. And, you know, Jeff Young told me that, that, you know, Meg Ryan had the same thing. So she goes, I'd never read the interviews. I'd never read the press. I'd never read anything about it because I don't want some fan or some critic being in my head about what I should or shouldn't do in my next role, you know, because and I, and I thought that was great. It's like to some point you got to be a little detached from that stuff, you know, and, and it's just like, hey, man, I pick up my bass. I write a song. I call my buddies. We make an album. That's what it is. Right. We put it out. <clears throat> you know, when you're making the album. It's your album. But once you put it out, it now becomes your album. And, you know, it's, of course, there's going to be critics. There's going to be those who, you know, love or hate, you know. But, I mean, look, I look at movies. I usually like most of the movies the critics hate. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I go see movies all the time and it's like, you know, oh, the critics gave it a bad. It's like, I don't give a shit. I don't, I'm not going in the movie with him. You know, I don't, I can care less what he says. You know, I'm going to have my own experience. With it. Same with records. I put them on. I buy, download them. I put them on to have my own experience with them, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's, and, and look and it, it is the entertainment business, man. So they all keep us entertained. You know? Absolutely. Well, last question, I'll let you go here. Um, I'm just curious cause you've been interviewed by so many people from like magazines, I'm sure like circus and rip and all those things to radio stations, to podcast, to MTV, and uh, uh, Eddie Trunk, I'm sure you've been on his show. Who is the best skill or most skilled interview that interviewer that you've dealt with? You are, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, I'm gonna man, cut that I mean, clip, and that's going in my go, promo reel. Yeah, there you go. Just cut it right there. Yeah. Now, you know, the reality of it is, is uh, you know, it's again, it's a privilege when people want to talk to you. You know. Um, like, uh, you know, you get to talk to people, not you have to talk to them. You know, you get to go play shows, not, oh, I have to play a show. You know, I, I'm not down with the musicians. You know, there's some people that it's like they complain they got to go on the road and then they get on the road and they complain they want to be back home. It's like you're never happy. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So to me, you know, I'm just I'm just doing this, hoping I never have to go get a real job. And so far, it's worked <laughs> out pretty good for the last 40 years. You know, yeah. so I, uh, you know, I just. 
I just wake up and go, I don't know, let's see what's on the palate today or on the menu today, you know? And, uh, um, you know, and some of it is, you know, it, it's this stuff, you know, you're in, you're, you're engaging with, with the outside world. And, um, there's a lot of creating, you're kind of in your own world. And even when you're on tour, you're kind of in your bubble, you know, you, you you're the yellow submarine, the tour bus, the airplane, whatever it is, and you're in your world and, you know, your world's pretty small and tight to keep things, to keep things together as you're rolling around the, the earth playing music, you know? Very so cool. this is, it's all part of it, man. It's all part yeah. of the game. All right. Well, you have the, the new records out now and then you have the lucid that's still active. You have the coffee company, yeah. you had the movie dwellers. Uh, so many things. Also, I always promote a charity. You still have the David Elfson youth music foundation. Is that still active? You know, we, we, we did, we did a lot with that. Um, and especially when the Grammys had their chapter of that, the Grammy, they had the Grammy music education coalition. So they were really supportive. That has since gone away during, it didn't survive COVID unfortunately, but I've remained friends with a lot of those people. So I actually do some other, um, charitable work with them now through other things as well. So I, I, I generally tend to now I give most of my charitable givings. I'll do through, um, uh, music cares, uh, okay. which helps musicians who are in need of, of uh, health care and things like that. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, those are like, you get like strong. I, I donate some, some, some of my strings to them and they make jewelry and they give, uh, it's called get strong, get strong.com. I think is their, is their, uh, their domain. So they do a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, so I'll donate that money over there. And, you know, okay. Give back a little. Well, thanks so much. I'll let you go. I know you need to get going, so I appreciate you going a little over with me. Uh, Great stories. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Cool, man. All right. right, Thanks so much. Yeah. See you. Bye-bye. David Ellison, what a legend. Again, his latest project project is called Ellison Soto. Uh, Features Jeff Scott Soto and is just an all-around fun album. And he has so many other things to promote. His other band, The Lucid, his coffee, his movie Dwellers, the book uh, that he wrote with Drew, Rockstar Hitman. Uh, Check his website in the show notes for the latest news. Follow him on social media, and of course, your likes, shares, and comments will help out the algorithm there, and you can do the same to help me and the show. Uh, Just make sure that your comments are positive, or if they're going to be negative, at least make sure they're very funny. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great day, and shoot for the moon. Shoot for the moon.